welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside and I feel like my life took this amazing turn for the better um, because I got to read this fantastic new book recently called, uh, it's not a new book actually, it's been around for a while, but new to me book called Beyond Winning, Smart Parenting in a Toxic Sports Environment. And I'm here with one of the authors, Luis Fernando Yosa. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, uh, Jenny. Really excited to talk more and spread the world about, uh, word about how parents can provide their kids with a more nurturing, exciting, and critically fun uh, experience when they're when they're uh, when they're venturing out into both unstructured play, semi-structured play, and uh, organized uh, play and sport. Mm. Uh, the book, it blew me out of the water. Um, we'll talk about that quite a bit, but let me introduce you real quick. Luis is a writer, editor, speaker, and investigative reporter. So what an interesting line of work. I always love learning about lines of work that I, I haven't really ever thought of before. So you worked for Sports Illustrated as a general reporter. You worked at Fortune and Money Magazines. Your primary passion is youth sports, both privately and professionally. You've coached soccer for decades. You co-wrote Sins of a Father, um, a Sports Illustrated exclusive about a 13-year-old inline skater injected with HDH and uh, testosterone by his father. Um, It's very interesting uh, topics. They're a little bit out of my purview because I'm not, um, like I say, sports ball. <laughs> That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Uh, but um, but it's so, it's just interesting to, to be exposed to um, things that I maybe not have thought about. And you've been on more than 100 national and local television and radio appearances, including CBS Evening News, CNN, CNN in Espanol, Fox News, Fox and Friends, Greta Van Susteren, Nancy Grace, all these things. NPR, ESPN Radio to discuss steroid investigations and other sports-related issues. So, um, and also, uh, we we don't connect on the sports necessarily, but uh, you do have five kids, and so do we. So we yeah, definitely we connect there. Five. <laughs> yeah, a father of five. So you found you've also so you have these books. You have this beyond winning smart p- parenting in a toxic sports environment that you wrote co-wrote with Kim John Payne, which is how um, I ended up here and Scott Lancaster. And then you have another book coming out with Kim John Payne. That is phenomenal on August 9th, emotionally resilient tweens and teens. And then you also have an organization that you founded called whole child sports. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about whole child sports and maybe your journey to this beyond winning book. So yes, the, uh, the whole child sports organization is basically the efforts of Kim, myself and Scott Lancaster to get the word out to parents that they can chill out and just sort of create a more nurturing and fun environment for their kids. And that if the, if, because there are many parents are like this, they want their parents to become their kids to become athletes uh, you know, you can get there from here without compromising uh, the kid's passion for sport and love of sport. And you can do it while also developing their uh, negotiating social emotional skills and preparing them for outer life. 
the bottom line in the whole world of youth sports, which has now become a $19 billion business annually, is that only a very tiny sliver of a very tiny sliver of kids make it even to college sports. And of those, even fewer become professionals. So all this focus on preparing them and overtraining them is having uh, counterintuitively a negative impact on a wide <laughs> group wow. of kids. Right. And then there are all the other kids who, because high school is structured with, you know, the best players getting time and playing on a team and very sort of weak, not so good gym time or other time for kids, the rest of the kids, all of the kids who um, need activity, physical activity, and need the challenges of learning the skills in, uh, that sports can provide, aren't getting enough activity. They're not getting a thousand, a thousand hours outside. They're not even getting maybe five hours inside in a gym at school. Right. And this right. doesn't work for the health of America, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the whole child. And well, so so can you tell what's the path? Where do the relationships intertwine? So I'm kind of always interested in those yes. stories. To co-write a book with someone is is a really cool thing. So where did y'all meet and you and Kim and Scott? Okay, so um, I met Scott because he had me on a show that he was doing on youth sports uh, on Sirius XM radio. And I was, uh, you know, breaking some stories on on steroids and, and other other societal ills. I uh, did the story on a kid named Danny Almonte, who was a Dominican kid who um, was a pitcher. And he pitched uh, a, a perfect game and was uh, on the verge of winning the Little League World Series, which is televised on ESPN and is a big deal all over the world for baseball and through the ass. And in fact, I was in the Dominican Republic learning that he was two years older than he was supposed than he was supposed to be. So he basically he oh, was cheating. It became wow. a massive scandal because while he was winning and beating with his team of kids from the Bronx, who Rudolph Giuliani, the mayor at the time, was touting as this great, you know, uh, Latino team from the Bronx, from from you know rugged, and they they overcome everything. Um, he, they were beating teams from Florida, from Japan, from all over the world. And it turned out that he, he, he was cheating, but it wasn't really the kid that was cheating. It was his parent and the manager who had set this up. And that was one of the moments when I said, oh my God, you know, these kids are just being used and treated abusively by parents. I've seen yeah. that all across, you know, the world, like you said, with this inline skater who at the age of 12 and 13 is being injected was 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 human well and what, and what's sad i think what's sad and to your point is it, it was not the fault of the child but that's the name that's the name that everyone's hearing they're hearing yeah. danny they're not yeah. hearing the name of the manager they're hearing the name of the kid so you met scott through that and then and then how about kim and kim uh came to uh my five kids uh, went to the rudolph steiner school in new york city which is a Waldorf school. Mm -hmm. And Kim came and gave a talk about boys and overwhelm. I loved the wow. talk. And I approached him at the end of the talk and said, Hey, uh, have, have you any interest in, in sports and what's going on 
with kids in that realm because it's a pretty crazy situation going on. Mm -hmm. And he told me absolutely, you know, he had been a, a high profile uh, youth soccer player mm -hmm. in Australia. And uh, he, you know, knew people in Australia in the, in the big, in the sort of in the, in the, in the Australian side of the crazy, let's be elite athletes world. And he'd also uh, coached, uh, basketball and other sports in the Waldorf system as an educator. Mm -hmm. And we just clicked uh, yeah. on, you know, our, our belief systems aligned, our um, just concern for childhood. Uh, you know, his big, uh, his big uh, um, phrase is too much too soon. And that's what I was seeing in the sports world, right. too much too soon. And the many ways in which it caused, uh, it was detrimental to kids. So yeah. uh, I got these two guys together and we started talking and we, we developed this idea of a book that would both call out the problems in youth sports and also provide solutions because we read a lot of good books uh, by Tom Ferry from ESPN and uh, others about uh, Mark Hyman uh, who wrote... Um, about kids being injured, including his own son, and who tells us at the end of his book that Tom Brady's parents, you know, the greatest football quarterback of all time, uh, wouldn't let him play football until he was in high school because they wanted to protect him. So wow. this whole idea that a kid has to be training from the age of gestation, <laughs> you know, right, right. In, order, in, order to, uh, in order to be uh, an elite, a great elite athlete is, has also been debunked in many different ways. Yeah. So we, we decided let's write a book that yes, calls out all these ills and explains them and, and, and delves into them and gives anecdotal examples, but also more importantly, provides parents with solutions. Yeah. So it's structured as seven, eight chapters that pose a conceptual problem or a conceptual issue in youth sports, and then has a story about how parents dealt with, with one. And then what we call QDSs, question, discussion, solution, and where the three of us, a question that a parent has asked one of us or all of us, and we've been all over the country, so we've had millions of questions, but generally the questions become, you know, similar. And then a discussion between us about the question and then our suggested solutions. Mm. And that's the structure of the book. I, you know, you and I met now, you and I have connected through Kim. Yes. Kim has been on our podcast to discuss his book, Simplicity Parenting, which has changed the lives of families all over the world. And yeah. also the new book that you wrote together coming out on August 9th, Emotionally Resilient Tweens and Teens. And what was striking to me is that, you know, this is not a book that I probably would have picked up on my own beyond winning smart parenting in a toxic sports environment. But there is so much in here for, for sports, obviously, but for life, for parenting. That's, that's what I, one of the biggest takeaways I came away. You talk about the power of play. You talk about what's coming. How is society changing and how can we prepare our kids for it? You talk about being bored. You talk about when we're overly invested. You talk about conversation even, you know, how, you know, how should we converse with our kids in, when, um, 
in sticky situations, about learning from failure, about what is success, about the gift of anticipation, all of these things. I got so much out of this book, Luis, for myself, for my own parenting. It just, it went right up to the top of my list of books, of parenting books, because you, you definitely give answers for sports. And I think that is something, if it's a $19 billion a year industry, obviously this is something that parents are, it's very pertinent for parents today. But, but beyond the sports, you just offered, there's so much in this book. So, um, I, I emailed Kim immediately. I, I, I'm so thankful because I, I might have not picked it up and I, I got so much out of it. So, um, let's, since, since you are, a sports um, that that's your primary passion. Can we let's start there? So you talk about the steep human cost of the way that sports for youth, um, the way that it's being ran today. So can we talk about the cost, like the developmental stages that are skipped and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So um, one of the one of the things that struck me as uh, people talk about great athletes like uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, Diego Maradona um, uh, for soccer from Argentina, Wayne Gretzky from Canada, um, uh, Pele in soccer, and uh, pretty much all the great baseball players who have come from places like the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Venezuela is that um, they learned what makes them incredible, creative, dynamic athletes is not what they learned from, from command-oriented coaching. They did not learn it because their parents could afford or were interested in, at the age of four, five, six, regimenting their time so that they could learn drills and skills to make them great athletes. Some of them did later on in their lives at the age of 15, 16, 17, engage in all that activities. In fact, they probably all did. But what made them great, and I'm only using the, the elite as an example, because it, it, it can make, it can be beneficial to every kid, even the kid who only plays sports for a year, um, is that they had time to play freely in an unstructured way both in their sport and with other sports and also with nature. And this is the key to me. A thousand hours outside is a fantastic concept, a necessary way for kids to colloquy with nature, to colloquy with themselves, to, to, to learn about the world. But what happens, Ginny, if the thousand hours outside are governed, controlled, timed, organized, structured by parents who think they're doing the best for their kids, but are counterintuitively uh, dumbing down the opportunities that they have to learn. So free play is the beginning of it. And it should be happening at the age of five and at the age of 50. But certainly in the early stages, uh, neuroscientists, child development specialists, uh, all agree kids need to play and they need to play together with each other and parents should not be controlling the atmosphere. What it does to, to certain athletes. And this is where I, I, I went down to North Carolina and talked to Jenny Levy, 
who has won three national championships as a women's um, lacrosse coach at the University of North Carolina. And she was just, she blew me away. I mean, if there's a way to, to, to marry Zen and coaching, she does it. Wow. And of course, when I interviewed her, uh, you know, we had a camera going and I was also interviewing her for, her, for this book. I saw the list of books she had on coaching on her and there was one on the Zen of coaching and all kinds of other stuff. So what she understood is that the social and emotional component of, of learning and coaching is critical and that creativity happens when you don't structure things. What she said to me, and we quoted in the book, it blew me away is, and she's talking as a coach who can get the best players on the planet in the sport that she wants to, you know, develop for that, for that university. Kids are like overbred dogs mimicking the drills that we run in practice. They aren't wired to think creatively. They do what they know what's safe. So like wow. she, it's incredible, right? She said to me one day early in the, in a, in a season, she walked uh, by a, a campus green in North Carolina and some of her girls, prospective players, current players were, were, were hanging out with their sticks or lacrosse sticks. And she said, Hey guys, why don't you show me some tricks? Why don't you do something fun? And they said, uh, Ooh, well, what do you mean coach? Do you want us to run an overlap? Do you want us to, you know, to, to drill, to drill pass? And they named all these terms, which I'm not as familiar with as I am with other sports for lacrosse specific segments. She said, no, just have fun. They couldn't. They didn't know wow. what she meant. And they were nervous about not showing her their best. That wow. taught me that these kids have been trained from the age of five, six, seven, and they're not getting a chance to learn creatively. Wayne Gretzky, he did it on a pond in his backyard. Yeah. for the first five, 10 years of his life. Diego Maradona did it in a, on a cement uh, little field called, where he played futbolito. And, and uh, Pele did it with, in a favela where, you know, the streets are uphill, downhill, around hill. There's dirt everywhere. The ball is a rolled up rag tied with, mm -hmm. with rope. But all wow. these different sort of, challenges that these guys faced a pond is rough right it's not perfect is that they learned how to move differently they learned how to pass creatively they learned in small spaces how to how to develop fast switch muscles all these different things happened so what we do to our kids which is a real shame is that at the age of four five six i've interviewed parents all over the country and in other places in the world they're structuring every second of their kid's time. It's too much too soon, as Kim would say. And what we really want them to do is go out and have fun. What happens when kids play? They have to deal with each other. If there's no parent, right? If there's a parent that the parent's like, okay, Joey, you shouldn't be doing that. Jenna, what, you know, why did you kick the ball out? You're supposed to pass it to the right. And, and really, what they should be doing is figuring out, figuring all this out for themselves. Because when kids play alone as peers, ah, a whole new situation arises. It's my ball. I want to play goalie. Well, I'm the goalie. No, but I want to play goalie. All right, all right, all right. Well, forget it, man. I'm going home. If I'm not a goalie, I'm going home. 
the kid starts to walk away with the ball and no, there's no other ball. So now what do the, what do the other kids need to do? They have to figure out how to negotiate. Okay, look, look, you can be goalie for the first 10 minutes and we'll switch. Now they're learning skills that they're going to use throughout life, which is yeah. negotiation, understanding and reading social and emotional situations. And this all helps them become creative and nimble people. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at peak freshness. So you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside 120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. Because as we say in the book, we change careers, we change jobs, also even careers every two to three years. And we need to be able to figure things out. So if you go into the corporate world and say, it's my ball, I'm going home. They don't want you on their team. If you go to the corporate world and get all upset and, and run to the bathroom and cry because somebody says something to you, that, that's a problem. You're not your, your best self. We, we learn through this unstructured free play and, wow. and even semi-structured. What, what has been fascinating to me is what I see is that parents, we, I kind of equate it to washing dishes. We like to wash dishes. Why? Because there's a set number of dishes. We wash them. We put them away. We feel good about ourselves. So I remember here on Central Park, uh, a bunch of kids from my school 
were having a great little football game going. And there was a parent, the parents were sitting aside and we were talking. Then a, a, a dad who didn't usually come came and he went right up to the kids and he says, all right, kids, let's get this better organized. Okay, let's pick fair teams. Now, what the kids would do if the score was lopsided was they would fight with each other and say, that's no fair. And they would figure out what fair teams were. Negotiation, yep. emotional intelligence, figuring things out. This parent wanted to structure it all. And that's what, that's what is done in coaching. We train them to yeah. the nth degree and they don't know how to figure things out. What's even worse is we yell at them the whole time. Go to wow. any sporting event and you'll see coaches are acting like the brain. Yelling wow. at kids, move to the left. Jenna, make a tackle. Jose, you're not in the right position. While the game is going on. The wow. great coaches like John Wooden in basketball and, and any great coach teaches kids during practice and talks to them privately about what they should do. They don't scream out instructions throughout a game because wow. you don't learn how to think for yourself. Wow. You don't learn the creativity of figuring it out and executing. Yeah. Oh, you start the whole book by saying we all want what's best for our children. And, but then when you, and so we think it's, it's almost been sold to us, right? That what's best is to put these kids in these travel sports and to give them every advantage, you know, possible when they're young as it relates to sports. But then you listen to you talk even just for a few minutes and you say, oh, wait, Maybe that's not what's best for them, you know, and, and so it's so interesting. I, I love this part about, um, well, you say starting at a very young age, there's always been an adult telling them what to do, where to stand, and when to move. And so your point is, is that this is, um, this is making it so that kids, they don't have the ability to think on their feet, and they exactly. can't be creative, and that it's it's seeping. I think this is when I said at the beginning, you know, you've got a parent, maybe they have a, you know, a, a child that's not super sports inclined, or they've got even young children, two, three. This is a fantastic book to read because what you talk about is how it seeps into other areas. You brought up a Harvard professor of bioengineering and applied physics. So this is out of the sports realm now that it yeah. takes years to deprogram the students because all they know how to do is what someone has told them to do. And these are A students. These are the best of the best arriving at one of the toughest schools where if you didn't get a 1600 on your SAT, good luck even being, uh, you know, considered. And if you did, you may not get in anyway, right? right. Another, another, another person who, who, who uh, really sort of shocked me with this is, and it's so broad to the whole parenting world, right, is, is, um, we talked about creativity. We talked about negotiation skills. We talked about social emotional IQ, but what about impulse control, right? That's oh, yeah. the one thing we want to teach our kids because that's going to be either if they don't have it detrimental to them throughout their lives in everything, not just sports, not just a job relationships with spouses, how do they teach and, and, and model for their own kids. Right. Uh, and, and, the, the, the quote that I love, which, which I'll, if you, if you will, I'll, I'll read for you, is yeah. um, from an early childhood teacher named Erica Christasis and her husband, Nicholas, who was a professor of medicine and sociology at Harvard. And what she says is, what they say is, one of the best predictors of school success is the ability to control impulses. Every 
day where we work, we see young students struggling with the transition from home to school. They're all wonderful kids, but some can't easily share or listen in a group. Wow, it mm. sounds like most of our kids, right? Right, right, <laughs> for sure. All problems and have uh, trouble uh, keeping their hands to themselves. Yes, check. <laughs> Others don't always see that actions have cons- con- consequences. Double check. A few suffer terribly from separation anxiety. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're not talking about preschool children here. Mm-hmm. We're talking, this is her quote, right? We're, these are Harvard undergraduates who we teach and advise. They all know how to work, but some of them have never learned how to play. And it's through play. The other thing that really shocked me in the research for this book, uh, I met and got and read, read the book of a guy named um, uh, Mike Lanza, who I, I recommend. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know him. The Playborhood. He's Playborhood, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was traveling for, you know, some sports reporting thing and I, I came upon him and I, and, I, and I met up with him over the phone, but I was right there near Menlo Park where he lived. And this is one of the weirdest things in, in a transgenerational shift for the worse, which is that when I was a kid, and I'm assuming when you were a kid, and it also depends on your setting, but at least in the city and sometimes often in the country too. When I was a kid, you went out and you played, and then you came back at night for dinner, right? Yep. And when you played, it was with other kids, and you had to be friendly with them, and you had to connect with them, and if you didn't, you weren't allowed, you, they said you, they shunned you. So like we talked about earlier with the, with, with the, with the free play, you learned and dealt, but there was no adults saying, you know, separating people when they fought, they, they fought and then they made up and they became friends again and they figured things out. Right. And playgrounds were full. Everybody was outside. You didn't even, there was no need for a book called a thousand, uh, you know, hours. It's the truth. It It is the truth. It just didn't come in anybody's mind. And so what really freaked me out is when I found out that Mike Lanza wrote the Playborhood Manifesto in other words, this dad was driven to create in his backyard and his front ra- yard cool sort of stuff and spaces so that the neighborhood kids could come and hang out and learn together and have fun together and play outside with different tools. He had a skate ramp. He had this. He had that. You know, it could be a treehouse or maybe he taught them how to build a treehouse. But they were doing the stuff that as kids we did. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid in Peru. I played with bottle caps alone for five hours straight. That, that, that helped me develop imagination yeah. and like figuring out, talk about the gift of boredom, which is one of Kim's great quotes. And we talk about at length here. Mm-hmm. Boredom is where things actually happen yeah. for kids, right? Your kid is bored. Okay, well, 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 we'll take you to a piano lesson on Thursday. We structure kids' days so that they don't have any moments of boredom because we think boredom is you know the devil's the devil's possibility the devil's the oh, the window through which the devil walks and does whatever and that the fact is boredom can be where kids just blossom into stuff that they invent and yes if they watch a lot of tv tv and movies they'll recreate stuff from the tv but if you can limit their screen time or even if they're just learning how to be creative, they'll take the TV show and not force themselves and each other to mimic it exactly. 
but develop new stuff with it. So Pokemon was a problem in, in our Waldorf uh, class because kids were structuring their whole play around it. And we were more into kids playing with sticks and stones in Central Park. But what did happen is that the kids who were not exposed to it and questioned it started helping the other kid develop really cool ways of like their own world of Pokemon unrelated to the scripted one that they were learning. And that's where unscripted and scripted meet and imagination blossoms. You want your kid to jump off their couch wearing a cape. Yes, they're sort of being a Batman or a Superman, and maybe you don't want them to mimic Disney that closely, but then they're creating their own moments of crisis and resolution, and they're having fun. You want jocularity, you want flashlight tag at night at camp where nobody can see each other and you have to figure things out. You don't Mm -hmm. want, you know, an adult saying, okay, at 355, we do this. And so the best times that I, that, that, that my kids are, have had are when we used to go to Maine and they played with pine cones or I was playing with bottle caps. I had Fanta crush. I had um, Pepsi and I lined them up into little armies and they fought each other. And I would lost in this. Wow. You know, wow. That's, so, so then we have a guy like Mike Lanza forced to create a manifesto saying, I want my kids to play with each other. I don't want adults to govern it. Or we have a wonderful tag team of Ginny and her husband, Scott, getting together and saying, we've got to do something for, you know, we've got to share what is happening already with our kids, which is that they're outside and we're making sure that they're outside and away from screens. Let's do a thousand hours outside. Can mm-hmm. you, the irony in the fact that you need to do that. Wow. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because Kim said when we talked, and this is something that really opened my eyes. I mean, the, the coming from this premise of we all want to do what's best for our kids, but that as a society, we're sort of headed the wrong direction. And when you say, I had this one highlighted on my page too, that one of the best predictors of school s- success is the ability to control impulses. And they're learning how to do that when they play imaginatively. But if we're in this framework of wanting to do the best for our kids, he talks about how by going backwards, we're really going forwards. Yes. By creating the playborhood, by making sure that we're including self-directed time for our kids to have these experiences, we're setting them up for the future. And this is when I talk about how your book is so overarching, it's one for any parent, you go through what's coming. You know, what is coming in the job market? The stark reality, you've got an amazing quote in here about how kids are going to have to be prepared to reinvent themselves. So can we talk about, you mentioned it briefly at the beginning, careers are shorter. What's coming for our kids and what are they going to need? They're going to need to um, be creative, be able to figure things out, uh, they're going to need to to have the skills. Um, basically, they're going to need to um, peer mentorship is a huge issue, like teaching each other. And if you have a coach or a, or a referee or a uh, a parent instructing everybody, then the peer mentorship possibilities don't happen, and so. And even as a coach, what I've learned, uh, 
and here, here's something that's kind of out of the box too. Every coach, and this is, okay, let's talk about every coach. I'm talking about sports, but again, like you say, it's in all aspects of life because it can be in, a, in, in, in Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. It can be in, uh, you know, swimming. It can be at a camp that's a nature camp. Um, every coach has a kid who seeks all the attention, is problematic, or maybe even is so good and so beyond what the other kids his age are that, they, that they're frustrated and critical of the other kids and, and are angry. Like it's, they're indignant. Why can't you, uh, you know, tie this knot really quickly. I, I learned it when I was four and these kids become aggressive with others. Oh. Right. And you get into potentially bullying and other issues. What, what I learned in coaching was to take that kid who has all that energy and all that skill but has no social understanding and empathy keyword for the other kids who are not at the stage that she or he is, is to say, listen, I need a team manager. Listen, I need an assistant coach. And you'll be amazed at the transformation from wow. aggressive to collaborative and mentoring that happens with that child. That's a specific example. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember a kid, uh, I've done this four or five times now with, with kids even more, but you give them a role of responsibility and they start to learn and they'll see like if they criticize the kid who they're teaching, the kid won't want to do it. So they start, they, yeah. they do what they normally do. It doesn't work. They, they have to figure out a way to affirm as well as teach. And then they do that. And then they become better, so better, better at handling, at, at be, better empathetic beings, better at social situations, but also better teachers and better team members. And that translates mm -hmm. to every job and every right. social situation, from being a parent to being a member of a team, a corporate team, to being a member, uh, you know, to pretty much anything you do. And so you take a kid which who could have been a bully, aggressive, uh, entitled, and indignant because of their high skill level, and you create a, you, you transform them into empathetic, helpful, wow. peer-oriented, peer mentor, and that's when they become an actual true leader. And all this talk about how sports are wonderful for kids developing skills like leadership and teamwork, it's doing the opposite. It's creating bully-like, entitled kids. Uh, wow. Even the ones who are who could be great leaders are not becoming it because they're they're missing that component. Yeah. And so, th this kind of simple example. There are also other examples like um, different kids grow at different stages and develop certain areas. Some are more physically uh, talented. Some are less. Some are extrovert. Some are introvert. You don't t stick an introverted child of yours onto a soccer, baseball, basketball team, throwing them to the social wolves and expect that they're going to stay afloat. They won't, right? What you do with them is you say, hey, let's go for a hike, right? Build their confidence that way. Hey, let's go for a bike ride. Let's learn how to bike. Let's, um, why don't, and then a little later, why don't you try tennis? Team sport, but not really. 
you're up to your own devices, right? Or golf or, you know, longer bike rides. Mm -hmm. One of the most interesting things that uh, one of the key things in this whole peer mentoring issue, and this is something that, that uh, Scott uh, got into a lot. I love this because he, at one point was dealing a lot with skateboarders and snowboarders and on whole child sports, we have uh, a video. It's been up for a long time with Sean white, the greatest. I saw that there. Yeah, that's so cool. But he, but, but, but what, what we learned about learning with skateboarders. So a lot of parents like, Oh my God, my kid's skateboarding. I don't know who he's interacting with. You know, he's always getting trouble with the police because he's skateboarding in the wrong places. Hmm. But what skateboarders do, and this is fascinating, is they take a problem like how to learn to do an ollie or how to jump onto a bench and then jump off while still on your skateboard or how to jump up, flip your skateboard and land on it as it's returned to wheels on the ground. And they'll practice that. They'll practice it for an hour. Sorry, doesn't work. They'll practice it for a day. Sorry, doesn't work. They'll practice it for three months. But when they're practicing, are they doing it alone? No, there are other guys who take turns and they're mm-hmm. saying, yeah, dude, whoa, that was cool. But, you know, balance your weight on the back a bit more as you're coming down. And so they're teaching wow. each other and they're doing great. They're, they're having fun. What kid do you know in today's society? There are very few will spend three hours trying to do something and fail repeatedly like 50, 100, 200 times in those three hours and still keep doing it. And they're falling. I mean, a lot of times they're getting hurt. hurt. And getting hurt. Mm -hmm. That's a kid who really wants to learn. And other kids with him are teaching him. And they're being cool about it. They're not putting him down because he didn't score the goal when the, the, the goal, he had a wide open shot or he didn't, you know, make the basket at the end when it was just a layup. They're actually supporting and helping. And that's where all that great learning happens and that great creativity yeah. happens. So you're thinking, oh, my God, my kid wants to do skateboarding. I wish he was doing piano lessons today, doing dancing tomorrow and on that travel uh, basketball team. No, he's out there for five hours doing God knows what with a skateboard. He's actually learning to be the most creative, peer oriented, teamwork oriented kid you'd ever ask for. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 
That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. Yeah, I loved your... I loved your part in the book about action sports. So, you know, you say they're learning self-coaching, focus. Yeah. There's not instant gratification. They're learning balance, agility, coordination, and they're learning how to learn for mastery. And that part about learning from peers, I mean, all of these things are lifelong. Um, they're going to benefit you for a life, you know, to know how to look around and to take feedback from the people around you and see what what, what are they doing that's working that I could be doing in my life. So I, I did love that part about action sports and and those lifelong benefits. Um, there was a topic in this book that I had never thought about um, in terms of sports, but also in terms of life. You you talk about the gift of boredom. That's one thing I think that Kim John Payne talks a lot about too. And I and I did love this sentence about boredom, where it says, "When our children are bored, we have not failed them." I think that's a huge statement because I do think a lot of times that we have failed, that boredom is a gift. But another gift you talk about is the gift of anticipation. I never thought about that in terms of my parenting. So you sort of relate it with letting kids wait, letting the excitement build, you know, um, in terms of joining teams. So can we talk a little bit about the gift of anticipation and... um, Well, you have this statement where you say, exchange the gift of participation for the gift of anticipation. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting because we give our kids everything. Uh, We try to anyway, when we can. And what better way can we uh, prepare our kids, for example, if they want to play on, um, a soccer team or if they want to buy a, an incredible fishing rod, do we hand them the fishing rod? Do we sign them up for a $4,000 for travel soccer? Or do we say, look, um, we want you to do this. This is great, but why don't we do this? Why don't you earn half the money to buy the rod? You earn, uh, you know, a fifth of the money to enter the sports thing by getting this summer job or helping me with this or that. And then we'll, we'll see if you still want to do it with that money. And so they, they want it, they want it, they work for it, they earn it for themselves and they feel both empowered and, and invigorated by their own, by their own, um, their own pivotal participation in getting, getting what they want. Are there other areas of that, that you, that you were struck by? 
I thought it was just really this concept of having something to look forward to. And I, I haven't heard many people talk about that. And I haven't thought of that much, actually, in my own parenting, you know, and so to, to have, I think sometimes if we reframe instead of, you know, if our child is six, and everyone else is joining the soccer team. Yes. And, and so then we feel maybe we feel bad, or we feel guilty, or we feel like the oddball out. But to sort of look at it from a different perspective, that we're also teaching them that life having something to look forward to at the right age and stage is also a really special part of life too. And and within all of that, one of the things that you did talk about and you have on your website and is in the book as well, are that there are these stages and yeah. that, um, you know, you have to make sure that the kids are going through these stages because otherwise they're missing key developmental periods to learn those flexible things or how to get along. Um, do you want to tell people what those, a little bit about those stages? Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, basically you have, um, uh, I'm just uh, looking for my notes here because um, here they are. So um, now before we even uh, touch on this briefly, I want to mention a friend of mine uh, quickly, a friend of mine was telling me about his, four-year-old kid and everybody else was doing soccer. So he put him in soccer and the kid uh, did it for a while and then didn't want to do it anymore. And his brother didn't either. And so the, the guy said, Oh my God, uh, you know, I guess they don't like organized sports. They made all these decisions about what their kids at the age of four had mm -hmm. shown them through this effort that they made. And then the next summer, another kid moved in or, or no, two summers later, a, a, a kid moved in from uh, somewhere else as a neighbor and that kid was on a team and liked to play sports. And so they started playing in the backyard with that kid and they loved it. So where he's like, I don't want to play soccer. I don't like it. It was probably because he was yeah. smaller and felt intimidated or, you know, didn't do something right and got yelled at by a, the parent of another, whatever happened, it, it didn't work for the kid at that stage. It just, he just wasn't ready for it. But when he met another kid and they started playing, uh, together for fun in the backyard and then he saw him with his jersey and all excited and he talked about the game and the kid was a little older now and maybe had, had come more into his body because different kids develop into their bodies and into that coordination at different times and even fall out of coordination as they get really tall suddenly at the age of for girls maybe 11 12 9 10 even uh, for boys, maybe more like 14, 15, 16, where they were really super coordinated. And now, you know, they're tripping over themselves instead of, you know, mm -hmm. making a perfect baskets from a three point range or whatever. So it happened naturally and the kid loved it and joined and joined and, and, and still plays soccer to this day. You know what I mean? Well, that's a point too. You bring that up in the book. Yeah. You know, what is, what is the goal? You know, what is the lifelong goal? And when you say kids, sports can enhance your life forever. You know, you're still involved with sports and, and, you know, action sports or team sports, you know, people can play those for the length of their life and find fulfillment and enjoyment. But that kids are quitting. I think I saw the statistics, 70% are quitting by the age of 13. Yes. And they're quitting for various reasons. It's no longer fun. They say uh, they have insanely sophisticated injuries that used to be the provenance of, uh, of, of elite athletes. You know, elite athletes used to get the kind of MCL, ACL, 
uh, tears in their knees, Tommy John surgery, and kids are getting it now at the age of 13, 15, 16. I've talked to doctor wow. specialists, pediatric specialists, uh, 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 orthos all over the place about this. It's stunning because we're, that's a whole nother podcast, injuries in sports and injuries wow. generally, and how kids are being overtrained, not just so that they're not creative and self-directed and peer mentoring, but so that they are having lifelong injuries. You just talked about the lifelong benefits of sports. How about the light, lifelong injury from when you were 12? Right. Through right. Sport. But this whole issue of, of ages and stages, I mean, we broke it out because imagination, uh, developing imagination and free play and unstructured and semi-structured play is what you want happening in the ages of five to eight, right? And th that's a, a stage where people, where kids are learning balance and coordination. That's really the, the key. They're not learning tricky skills like, like um, dribbling and passing and scoring, or, or they're not learning sophisticated sets of movement. They're learning balance and coordination. So adjust to that with fun games and also maybe even kicking a ball, get a ball, and people are doing this better now than they used to be, but get a ball that's the size that your kid kid can play. I mean, there's a lot of parents love golf for their kids. Well, this woman named Kate Tempesta created a whole way to learn golf that is appropriate because she's also she was also an early childhood teacher for kids to play. They're not playing with the with the big golf golf, you know, they're not playing with a tiny ball. Big ball, very small. That's what I need. <laughs> and, and she creates learning lessons out of it. Like they, if they hit this, uh, they, they see a giraffe. And how do you, giraffe has spell with a G, you know. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's more along their lines, age appropriate. Yeah. Then the second stage is a nine to 11 year old. And that's where fundamental skills are being taught. Right. Like dribbling, like passing, uh, you know, interacting with other kids. Then stage three are really sports specific skills. And that's from 12 to 15. And that's when you're you're in you're in a team, a regular team or a travel team, and you're really learning um, um, a whole nother level of physical movement. And then the final stage is 16 to 18, where you're in serious training and competition if you so choose to be. And right? if you make it that far, I think that's kind of the point. And yep. really, the next stage is the rest of your life. And so. It's like you don't want to cut off that rest of your life because of these negative experiences as a young person. I thought this sentence was phenomenal. It's talking about when to start. Actually, I really loved I really loved the the framework of the book where you took these common questions that parents have and and you're in that world. So you're getting these questions from so many people. So that one of the questions was, my child is five years old. A lot of the parents around me are busy choosing a sport or sports for their child, but I'm not sure if it's the right time for him to start organized sports yet. Will he miss out if I don't start him early enough? So first of all, to have that question approach through woven throughout the book is fantastic because every parent has that question, you know, am I, will he miss out and, and am I messing up? And the answer that's there is consider your hesitation a blessing and hold on to it for dear life. Yes. What your instincts are telling you is that your child's childhood really matters. Protecting and extending it for as long as possible is one of our biggest responsibilities as parents. Exactly, Jenny. That's so important. And so the, the answer to the question, well, 
will will they like not have friends because all the other kids are making friends on the travel whatever team hockey tennis whatever um swim team is no and you can create your own little group you can make a playborhood right you can do your playborhood where you find other like-minded parents and so you 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 invite them all to your backyard or if it's if you're in a city you take them all to a park and they play and parent yes you're there yes you're important you you are significant nobody's saying you're not part of this picture but huddle with the other parents and hang out and talk about your own stuff with one eye occasionally glancing over to see have things really gotten out of hand do i need to step in because somebody got hurt even if there's a little bit of a fight don't just jump in and solve it maybe just hang back for a second or two because maybe they'll resolve the fight and then they're learning all these things we've talked about you know throughout throughout this um this discussion that's that's critical Mm -hmm. um also you're your parents' first coach. That's something we talk about. You are your child's first coach and they will get much more out of you as a dad with, you know, three thumbs, totally uncoordinated, passing the ball around, <laughs> them, you know, or a mom who doesn't says know, sports ball, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. A mom who's, who calls, who calls sports, sports ball, you know, <laughs> They will have much more of a loving connection, which is what you want with them, and and a and a, and a, and a nurturing um, environment. Doing it with you in those early years, they yeah. want to be with you. And uh, we talk in the book about this parent who, with his six seven year old, was playing basketball, and then suddenly the kid was like, "I don't want to go play basketball anymore." And that's how they connected. They always went and played basketball on Saturday because the dad was off and not working, and the mom wanted to do her own things with the other kids. And it was like, okay, so Tommy and I are going to go play basketball. And then suddenly the kid doesn't want to do it anymore. And we at, we talked to this parent and asked him what was going on. And the picture came out that, and the child will tell you if you listen, but parents don't, they, 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 something in their, in their auditory system shuts off and they can't hear it. It's being said, but they can't hear it because kids don't speak directly to you. But mm. if you listen to the language, it's clear. It had no, it was no longer fun because the, the parent was instructing all the time. So it wasn't about fooling around and shooting and maybe even learning how to do a layup. It was about, this is how you do a layup. You do it this way. You step off this foot and you know, you, you did really good with that, Joey, except you did that part all wrong. And so it was criticism, criticism, criticism. And our, we talk about this in the book for every constructive criticism that you give a child. You need to uh, give them three compliments. And I don't mean like vapid compliments because they hate that. Not, right. oh, you were wonderful. Well, how was I wonderful? Really, Dad, did I, you know, mm. what do you base that on? No. Uh, so the thing you do with a kid after a game or when, or when, you're, when you're teaching them something is you, you say, I really like how you pulled the ball back and passed it the other way. That showed that you really were thinking about, changing things around and confusing everybody. That was great what you did. Uh, and then you can maybe affirm one other thing and then say, you know, say, say what you wanted to, if you still think it's necessary. And you know what? I think this is what 
I can see why you and Kim clicked because there's such a depth there. These are how our conversations go. I mean, we are out of time, but there is so much more here. But I did have that part written down, which is we just say too much, you know, that you say that in the book. Now, this is why I'm saying this is a book for any parent. You say there's these three simple questions that we ask ourselves before we say the thing. Is it true? Is it kind? And then is it necessary? And in parentheses, I mean, you said almost never. You say learn to hold back, that this is not just a sports lesson, it's a life lesson. And I had written this down too. Cut the number of times you speak up by 50%, then cut that in half again. Really, half, then half again, because the kids, they move on. You know, you have this concept in there that they move on, the outcome doesn't matter too much to them, but they do remember our reactions. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. the whole, you just nailed the crux of beyond winning, which is it's not about winning. And winning at all costs is what this $17 billion sports industry feeds on. It's what propels it. It's overtraining too early, getting injured. It's structuring and overstructuring and dampening creativity of uh, negotiating skills, um, social, social empathetic skills. All of, all of this is based on we want to win. This uh, concept that my kid won a national championship at age nine. Oh, my God. You know how many national championships there are? Every single sports organization that's selling you calls their, their moment a national championship. And who cares if your kid won it at seven, eight, nine? What you do by focusing on short-term goals is compromise long-term life skills, long-term love of, love of activity. And, and that's the thing. Again, is it a 1,000 hours outside or is it the right kind of thousand hours outside right, even right. if you're a naturalist and you're all about fishing with your kid if you over talk if you over instruct if you don't let them lose the fish the first few times if you don't let them even while they're putting on the worm maybe get a little tiny cut and then learn how to fix the cut then you're doing them a disservice it, it i love what you've said over and over about the book that it's about life. It's not about sports. Yeah. Of course, it's, that's how we framed it. But right. this is what, what mattered to me as a, as, as a profilist of athletes, of elite athletes, and as someone who commented on and wrote about the, and exposed societal ills in sport was people and life, yeah. not the, the, the status of the athlete yeah. or the contract that they signed. And why did I do so uh, why was I both lucky circumstantially and did so well with uh, with uncovering these investigations? Because source, sources trusted me. But why did they trust me? Because they saw, as one of them said to me, Luis, you care. You care about people. You care about life. And that's what it was for me. It's about yeah. us and you right. and connection. In fact, the overriding thing you want to do with your kid, whether it's in sports, whether it's in any form of activity outdoors, or indoors is form connection. And if you're connecting through sport and it becomes a criti- critical and overwrought and t- high pressured and negative, then what you're doing is not just not connecting, you're perhaps ruining wow. the single opportunity you have to build a lasting bridge of love and life with your child throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. And even more disconcerting, Coloring the way they handle their own kids later, 
because we didn't even get into this area, wow. the area of uh, your own sports biography or your own biography generally and how that um, – uh, yeah, can't. I think that that goes to the depth of the book. There is a depth here. There's so many topics that we could have talked about, you know, how we're over-investing, um, you know, how, why is this making us feel so anxious or angry? There was a quote where you said, um, you know, I, I, 53%, I thought this was fascinating, yeah. 53% of parents surveyed after watching their children play soccer reported being angry during the game to some degree. I'm like, why are we doing this? You know, this is half, half the parents are sitting there. So all of these things, there was a depth to this book that, that has just sparked so many things in my mind, things to think about. It just blessed my soul. It, it went right to the top of my sort of arsenal of parenting books. Even though, like I said, from the beginning, I may not have grabbed it. Um, I just cannot recommend it more highly beyond winning smart, smart parenting in a toxic sports environment. I, I love even just about how are we defining success that why are we shoving? You have a, a sentence of why are we shoving our kids down such a narrowly defined pathway to achievement? And that's a life lesson. You know, it works for sports, but it also works in other areas as well. So, so Luis, if people are interested in, in finding the book, um, uh, where, where can they go? And then also pre-ordering em emotionally resilient tweens and teens. Cause that's another book that you co-wrote with Kim John Payne. That is phenomenal. Where's a good place for people to find these books. So Amazon has both thrift book has both as well. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can go through Amazon, you can go through, uh, my website, luisfernandoyosa.com works uh simplicity parenting you can go to their book book um you know their products page and they have uh, the different books that kim's written kim also wrote a book uh about games which is fun for the, that one. For the right exactly and that's fun and i think it's now divided into three parts but he wrote an original one earlier and that's for the parent who who that's for every parent but it's certainly for the parent well, there's so much more to talk about, and I know we can't. <laughs> I know, I know. But this one's. Can I read the subtitle real quick? Because this yeah. actually is fantastic. This yeah. is like the life you want to live with your kids. This right. particular one, and there may be another one, but this one is called Waldorf Games Handbook for the Early Years: Games to Play and Sing with Children Ages Three to Seven. But at the bottom, it says 142 counting finger beanbag circle clapping skipping water singing. And rainy day games. I mean, that's awesome. a book to have. Yeah, awesome. it's, a, it's yeah. a great one. It's like bring back board games, bring back card games, yeah. and bring back the games in that book. You yeah, know? absolutely. And, and that's one of the things we talk about with uh, with the first stage of play, and the second stage too is you know playing tag, flashlight tag, uh, hide and seek, uh, four square. These are all games which everybody said, oh, well, that's okay, but I'd rather my kid be learning how to play the piano or something useful for later life. And wow, it's with those games that they learn everything about how to interact with each other. Yeah. And that is the point. That is the point that in wanting to do what's best for our kids, it's counterintuitive, but less is more, right? Um, let them like, anticipate mm -hmm, and let them yes. want to be on that soccer team or that basketball team or that swim team or want to go on that hike, but tell them it's going to happen when they're old enough or when they're ready or yeah. when they've made a little money to help finance it. And right. then they, they're prepared. And then the, the, the anticipation becomes 
avid, passionate participation instead of, oh, really? We have to go on another hike? Oh, dad, you want me to sign up for another team? I'm kind of tired of what we're already doing. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. Mm -hmm. Gift yeah. of boredom, you know, births creativity. Right. The, uh, the detriment of overstuffing is, uh, is blandness and uh, overwhelm and quitting. Right, right. And people can find a lot more information as well on the wholehealthchildsports.com website. Wholechildsports.com. Right. Whole you have you have the four stages of play there. You talk yes. about how you can choose a coach. You just have a whole parent's toolkit. So that's also a great place for people to go and and to get um, information. Luis, this has been what a pleasure. Uh, I am so thankful to be able to rub shoulders with you to have read such a, um, a pertinent book and a book that um, sparks a lot in your mind. It makes you think and, and, and same with emotionally resilient tweens and teens. It's the same thing. Um, so you're just doing such amazing things in the world. And I, and I hope parents grab both of these and read them and read them with their neighbors and, um, take these concepts to heart we uh we always end our and you kind of touched on this earlier so i don't know if you'll say the same thing or not but we always end our podcast with a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours wow there, there are a bunch because we we did as as waldorf uh parents uh want to go out but i guess uh they sent around my kids in maine and and watching them uh you know make pretend fireplaces out of stone and, and, and little pine cone figures and all of us running into the lake as it started to rain with no thunder in the neighborhood and it was windy and just the joy. In fact, maybe the most poignant one was we were borrowing somebody else's house in Morristown, New Jersey, and the rain came down and we all like, you know, undressed to, the, to, 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 to just our, our underwear and ran around in the rain joyfully yelling and screaming and it was unstructured it was free there were adults there but they were behaving and not telling anybody what to do in fact they were completely you know wild and and, and relaxed as the kids were and that's probably it my five it's my five beautiful. kids and me and my wife running around in a storm or diving into a lake or yeah water it's just yeah it's such simple things take us a few decades back how about from your childhood uh, from my childhood, I spent a lot of time uh, alone, and it was uh, it was going on my bike in in Lima over to a um, over to a general park and watching the tadpoles in the pond, and then going back a few days later and seeing that they'd grown you know a different into a different stage, and then finally that there were these little weird arms coming out of under their bellies, and then legs coming out and uh and just riding on my bike with my dog and looking looking for somebody to play with and yeah. you know wow we don't let our kids look for somebody to play with we arrange play dates but it was like not knowing if i was going to find somebody to play with and therefore making new friends and in weird places all over it, it was a freedom to it all yeah it's beautiful it's Life beautiful. was a flavorhood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Louis, so much. I, I certainly hope our paths cross again. This has been um, so such a delightful experience for me. Thank you. It, it has been for me too, Jenny. Thank you uh, for having me on, for talking about our, our two books, and also for what you're doing uh, for the greater society, because this is 
what makes things worthwhile. If you have something that you love and it's good and you share it, you know, yeah, that's absolutely. how we can affect change in this society. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Luis. You. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.